Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We are in Psalm 16 this morning, which is page 453, Bibles and the Pews. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. For the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. The drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh, flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us pray. Father, now as we reflect upon Psalm 16, we pray that we will see the beautiful, or the beauty that lays, uh, uh, lies with trusting and hoping in you as we approach this new year. Uh, Father, we expect you to do good things for us. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So this past Christmas, my family and I had the opportunity to join our families in Georgia and South Carolina in celebrating the birth of Christ. And so like all trips, when we go back to the great state of Georgia, uh, I tend to reminisce about my childhood. And on this trip, however, my memory centered on my past Christmas experiences. And one memory in particular kind of stood out, and it, it kind of it revolved around... Um, kind of this idea of Christmas lists and, and you, you know, you, you give your parents this list and, you know, at the top of your list, you have the, the ultimate gift that you're asking for. But this particular Christmas, I asked for uh, a Starship Enterprise. You know, if you watch Star Trek, you know, you kind of know what the Star Trek, what the, the Enterprise looks like. And, uh, because for me at that time in my life, Star Trek was big. I mean, it was, it was all I thought about. Uh, I kind of ran around the house with my sister's like pink curlers pretending like they were my, um, you know, telling Scotty to beat me up. That's how big of a Star Trek fan I was. And still, yeah, I still am today. And so yes, you can label me a nerd, it's okay. Um, but not only was I a Star Trek fan, but I was a kind of a Star Trek snob. And so, I'll say this, and I probably will get some pushback. Um, the original Star Trek is 10 times better than the new generation and the ones that follow. I see some head shaking. We'll, we'll talk afterwards. But it's 10 times better. So this particular Christmas, uh, I gave my parents my list of the items I wanted to receive, and on top of that list was the Enterprise. And so I remember this conversation. We were sitting down at the dinner table, 
And my mom, in a, kind of a nonchalant kind of way, kind of just asked me to, uh, to provide her some more information about this Starship Enterprise. Because my mom could care less about the TV show. And right then it came to me, oh my gosh, she bought the wrong one. <laughs> and so after dinner was over, I kind of went to my bedroom and kind of was just sitting there just pondering, you know, how I would approach Christmas morning, open up this gift, and it was not the, you know, the ship I was looking for. So I went down a hallway, and I kind of peeked around a corner into the kitchen, and I noticed my parents were bringing in you know, this big package into the kitchen to look over and to examine to make sure they got the right one. And you know what happened? She got the wrong one. I was mortified. I was, I was upset. I was, I was in despair because my Christmas was over. The one gift that I wanted for my parents, and she didn't get it for me. I kind of felt like I kind of lost all confidence in my parents' ability to fulfill my wishes. Yeah? And so I tell the story about my childhood because sometimes I, th I think we kind of approach God the same way. You know, we, ver we jump to verses like Psalm 37 where it says, you know, he will give you desires of your heart. And we go to John 14, 14, where Jesus says, you may ask of anything in my name and I will do it. And so we kind of make the case that, that God should follow our advice or our wishes and, and, and get what is good for us or give us what we think is good for us uh, and then implement his will around what we desire. And when he does, and when he decides not to do that, we kind of lose confidence in God. Well, if he doesn't give me what I want, what I desire, then is he really good for me? But we see that as not, that's not scripture, right? That's not how we approach the text. It's what some scholars refer to as the eisegesis, not the exegesis of scripture. I said, Jesus, is when you read scripture and you try to put your interpretation into the text instead of what the text is actually saying. And so we do that with those two verses, Psalm 37 and John 14. But this morning, the psalmist, and, and I'm going to use David and I'm going to use psalmist interchangeably here because, you know, sometimes I, I think... The psalmist is someone else other than David, but sometimes it is David. But in this case, I do acknowledge it is David. So if I use them, hopefully it doesn't confuse you if I just use them interchangeably. But the psalmist in Psalm 16, kind of, he ties his confidence, though, into the Lord. Not in, into the Lord fulfilling his desires and his wishes, but instead in the continual blessings that flow from the Lord's goodness. You see, the psalmist, he could trust that the Lord is still good, regardless of his outcome in life. He trusts that the Lord will always be good. And so to draw our minds and our hearts to this truth this morning, that the Lord is good, regardless of our circumstances, of where we are in life, we're going to focus on three things about this passage. One is that confidence in the Lord is expected as followers of as, as, as his followers. Two, that confidence in the Lord flows from an understanding of the benefits that we receive from him. 
And finally, the last one is that confidence in the Lord leads us to want, or leads us and frees us to live a life of obedience and of praise. So my hope this morning as we study the psalm is together is that we will begin this new year, that as we begin this new year, we reflect upon the good things that we have received from God, from his right hand. Regardless of whatever they may be or how they play out in our life, we need to see that they are good and therefore our good. So let's look at the first point. The psalmist begins by focusing upon the Lord's track record in kind of preserving and protecting the covenant community. Look at verse 1. He says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So while we're not quite sure what the condition may be, whether it's good or bad that the psalmist is in in this particular passage, we can gather from the text that the psalmist is well aware of the Lord's ability to provide refuge for his people. He's their escape. We look at verse 2 and verse 3, the psalmist writes this. He says, I say to the Lord, and that's important to note that this is personal. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. And so by using this expression, he's not only identifying the Lord as his refuge, as his escape, someone that he can run to, but he's also pointing out two key uh, qualities or attributes about the Lord. One, he's his ruler, and second, he is his master. Just by using this phrase, you are my Lord, he's identifying the Lord as his ruler and his master. And that under those particular roles that the Lord plays in the psalmist's life as well as in our life, he's identifying or he's pointing out that the Lord governs and he cares for him. The Lord governs his life and cares for him. Good things flow out of his hands to him, out of the Lord's hand to him. The psalmist is acknowledging on a personal level that all of his experiences in life, whether this good or bad, they're out of the Lord's goodness. He has provided. And so this personal confession for us this morning is, is, is a model for us as we see the Lord as a master and ruler in our own life. When we see him in this role, we, we live, we, we're able to live confident lives, expecting and trusting that the Lord will meet our needs, our physical and our spiritual needs. But I think we must also be cautious as we approach this. And remember sometimes that our definition of, of good may not match what the Lord deems as good for us. The Lord's definition of good is not tied to an overabundance of wealth or health or material goods. The Lord's definition of good is tied to him being our sole provider. And the role that we play in his kingdom work. So we must be on guard and avoid the temptation to see God as another Santa Claus or genie, one that makes us the measure of all things. Instead, we need to see him, as the psalmist does in this passage, as our ruler, our master, our provider, who gives us good things, ultimately for his purposes and for his glory. 
But we also look in verse 3 and we see that the psalmist kind of expands his thinking. This time, not only is he having a personal evaluation or a personal kind of study of the blessings in his life, but he's reaching out and he's expanding into the covenant community, the community of the saints. He says, As for the saints in the lands, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. There are, there are many different perspectives on who these saints may be, but I think when we take into account verse 3 along with verse 4, we can quickly identify that the saints in this passage are those who do not run after false gods for refuge and for protection. They are the ones who know and wait on the Lord to provide, to be there for them, to be their refuge, to be their provider, to be their support. So the psalmist's emphasis on the covenant community is important for us too here in this passage because it's a beautiful reminder that when we gather together as the body of Christ, which we are doing this morning, not only should we celebrate the good things that flow from the Lord's hand, which we do, we just got through doing in the prayer of the offering, but we are also called to act in service and love towards one another. We come together to use the good blessings that the Lord has blessed us with, whether it's financially or whether it's our spiritual gifts, to bless others, for, to bless and minister to others within the body and outside the body. I love how Calvin, what, what he says regarding this text, he says, we ought therefore highly to value and esteem the true and devoted servants of God, that's us. To regard nothing as of greater importance, nothing as greater importance than to connect ourselves with their society. In other words, to connect ourselves to one another. And this we will do, we will actually do if we wisely reflect in what true excellence and dignity consists. And do not allow the vain splendor of the world and its deceitful pops to dazzle our eyes. So the emphasis here is that when we turn our eyes towards one another in service and love and acts of mercy, we live out that confidence that we have of knowing the Lord, that he will provide. He will provide all of our needs, and therefore we can live and thrive in this fallen world as the body of Christ because we actually care for one another. We can live confidently knowing that the Lord will provide all that we need. So therefore it frees us up to love and to act and to serve the body of Christ. In the following verses, the psalmist then shifts, not only talking about that, that confidence in the Lord should be expected, but then he shifts to thinking and focusing our attention to some of the examples of the Lord's goodness in our own lives. In verse 5 and verse 6, the psalmist uses terms like portion, cup, and lot. Both of these highlight kind of the covenantal blessings and promises made by Yahweh. So what he does in this passage is he's stressing two key points about God. Not only in his own life, but also for us. is this. One, that God provides sustenance. He provides it. But also, not only does he provide it, he serves as our sustenance. So the psalmist is quite aware that the Lord provides all of his physical needs. But not only does he provide all of his physical needs, 
He, he provides his spiritual needs by providing himself. God provides us himself. And that is enough. To fill us. To fill all of our desires. Yahweh is good to his people by providing them their basic needs, but more importantly, by providing himself. And we just got through celebrating that, right? Christmas. God dwelling in his flesh for us. So sustenance and inheritance is ultimately found in communion with him, with Yahweh. We see this lived out in our own lives, right? I just got to talking about Christmas. Paul kind of stresses this idea of, of us being in union with Christ. In Colossians 3, when it says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We are in Christ, so therefore if we're in Christ, then Christ is enough. He is our sustenance. He fills us. He satisfies us. So the psalmist addresses these benefits of the Lord being our sustenance. He provides our sustenance. He is our sustenance. But also look what else he does in verses 9 and 8. He provides us the benefit of a future resurrection. The psalmist writes this. He says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter and Paul both kind of pick up this verse in, their, in, in Acts when he talks about, when they use this verse in regards to Christ's resurrection. What's significant about that for us is that we benefit in Christ's resurrection. If Christ did not rise from the grave, then we would not rise from the grave. So therefore, when he did rise from the grave, we will rise from the grave. We have that benefit. We place our faith and trust in Christ, we will be resurrected as well. And that's a benefit. That's a great benefit. To know that he will not abandon our souls to Sheol, that he will not forsake us, that he will not turn away from us, but that he will give us eternal life in Christ. And that's not just that we'll experience today, but we will experience it in eternity. This is the great benefit for us. For a while now, Aaron and I have been trying to teach our kids how to pray. And you know, we're just at that phase where you just have the kids repeat what you say. And it's funny because they, they're pretty good at repeating, but they always try to throw one thing in there that's random. You know, like, thank you for kitty cats, or thank you for doggies, or, you know, thank you for all the people in the entire world. You know, just stuff like that. But on this one particular night, we were teaching our youngest to how to pray. And they were repeating after us. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, you're, you're getting ready to end, and then all of a sudden, one of the girls threw in, thank you for Jesus. And you're like, that's pretty good. You know, I didn't really think about that. Yeah. But it got, me to th it got me thinking, you know, how often do we pray God just thanking him for Jesus? 
We're quick to give thanks, you know, for food and for clothing and for protection, our physical needs. But do we just say, thank you for Jesus? Thank you for sending him to satisfy all of my longings and all of my needs and all of my desires. Thank you for Jesus. Do you ever give thanks that you are to the Lord for a future resurrected body? You know, I don't have the prettiest body in the world, but a lot of times, you know, I do look in the mirror and say, Oof, I'm ready for that, that, nice, that nice body to come. But do you think, do you think of that benefit of that body that is to come? Do you agree with the psalmist here and his pastors that Christ is enough for you? I think the more we reflect upon the benefits that we see receiving Christ, the more that we receive from his hands, the more we'll be content in him. The more we'll have a better outlook on this new year. Because we'll see that only the Christ is what satisfies us. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He closes out. And he talks about that, you know, we living a life confident with the Lord. We can live a life confident in the Lord because we know that he will provide for us. And knowing that he will provide for us, and he has provided for us in Christ, it kind of frees us up as believers to live a life in obedience. Verse 7 and 8, he says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also by heart instructs me, for I have set the Lord always before me, because he is my right hand. He is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. So the phrase here, I have set the Lord always before me, highlights the psalmist's desire to obey and to live a life of righteousness for the days, for the remaining days of his life. And he can do that because he trusts that the Lord will continue to instruct him and to provide him with the counsel that he needs to walk the path of life mentioned in verse 11. But notice that the obedience it precedes the faith. The psalmist believes that he trusts in the Lord's ability to provide and to care for him. Therefore, he obeys. The formula that we see established for us in the psalm is similar to what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when Jesus is discussing anxiety and he commands those listening to not be anxious? He says, why, why, why are they not anxious? Why does he tell them not to be anxious? Well, he tells them not to be anxious. Why? Because the Lord will provide all their needs. So instead of being anxious, what does he command them to do? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Knowing that when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you can do that knowing because the Lord's going to provide all you need. Just seek him. He's going to take care of you. God will always be good to us because we're in Christ Jesus. He will always meet our needs. Therefore, we are free to live our lives and to serve and go and work for the kingdom because we do not have to let the demands of food and water and clothing and life to keep us back or hinder us from being faithful and serving the kingdom.
because he will provide it. He will provide our needs. The psalmist then talks about what is our proper response to the Lord's goodness. It is to praise. The psalmist writes, I bless the Lord, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. All good things that we have or receive from the Lord should lead us into a sense of praise and rejoicing. Why? Because nothing good comes into our lives apart from him. When he sovereignly wills for it, it is good. And we see this in Romans 8, right? Paul says this, For we know that all those who love God, all, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. We believe that. We hold true to that. That all things will work together for our good because we're in Christ Jesus. But I think sometimes praising God is difficult when his will does not look good on paper. Sometimes he wills for us to suffer, to endure pain, to endure some form of heartache. I mean, look at the life of William Cooper, right? A man who constantly struggled with depression, but instead of letting it draw him away from communion with the Lord, what does it do? He, he runs to him. He rests securely in him. Listen to this line in his hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. He says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. On a personal note, some of you may know about the pain and suffering my family went through a few years ago. Between 2010 and 2013, we went through three miscarriages. And as a parent, you kind of feel helpless. You know, you always ask those questions, what could you have done differently, or how could you have prevented it from happening? It was difficult for us as a family. And to this day, it kind of still hurts. But God has been faithful to us. And he continues to be faithful to us. And he continues to remind us that his love for us hasn't changed and it is still sufficient to see us through suffering and pain and heartache. His sufficient grace has affirmed our faith and renewed our confidence in him. See, the best way we can respond to those moments of suffering when his will for our life does not look good on notebook pages the best way we can respond is to sit down and to reflect upon the ways in which he has been good to you how he has preserved you and how he preserved us in Christ how he has provided a, a covenant community around here this is the body of Christ he has provided these people look at them Sitting next to you, he has provided them for you to look into your life, to love you despite of your sin, to minister to you, to serve you. He has provided a covenant community for you 
Do you want to endure this new year? Endure with confidence? Reflect on the good ways the Lord has blessed you. Let this new year be a year lived in total and complete confidence that what comes against you and discourages you as a believer, that no matter what, God is still good. He is still good. And he will continue to overwhelm you with good gifts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, sometimes it's difficult to reflect upon our lives and, and see just how good you really are. Father, I'm sure that there are moments where we have all experienced some form of despair and pain and suffering. And Father, I pray that as we anticipate that in the coming year, because we know that it's part of living in a fallen world, that we will encounter it, or that we can still reflect upon your good gifts. Help us to reflect upon those when we are suffering. Help us to reflect upon those whenever we are in trials or pain. Help us to reflect upon your goodness. And we can live the 2017 with confidence knowing that you are good because you have always been good to your people. And you will continue to be good to your people. We praise in Christ's name. Amen.